explicaciones a ti. Yo no te debo, chico. Yo hago con mi cuerpo lo que me dé la gana y tus prejuicios me los paso por la raja. Me estoy riendo porque Samantha, cada vez que vamos a iniciar el podcast o cada vez que hacemos una pausa y vamos a comenzar, vamos a comenzar una nueva conversación, ella tiene que acomodar el filtro. No sé por qué tiene obsesión con el filtro del micrófono, pero siempre tiene que acomodarlo y a mí me da tanta risa. Because I know where it's supposed to be. <ríe> sí, pero es que nunca lo movemos. Después que tú lo acomodas la primera vez, nunca más se mueve. Pero ella siempre <ríe> lo tiene que acomodar. Anyway, mi gente, hoy le venimos con un nuevo episodio para hablar del de estigma alrededor del tema de las enfermedades mentales. Yeah, today we're going to speak about the stigma around mental health and I think getting treatment around mental health issues. Exactamente. In the Latinx community. Mm -hmm. Exactamente. Y, por ejemplo, en tu familia... ¿Qué tipo de estigma has visto tú en cuanto a ese tema? Oh, whew, a whole bunch. Um, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a mix where I think at this point, mm -hmm. possibly it's talked about enough that people, at least on the surface, are polite. Sí. You know, and understanding and like, well, you do what you have to do for yourself. Claro. You know, but most definitely... There's this, you can, you can tell in the words and in the actions, especially with, you know, older generations that it's just considered uh, a sign of weakness, I think, sí. to go and seek professional help. You know, you're supposed to be strong. You are supposed to deal with things by yourself or talk it out with your family or friends, your spouse, whatever sí. the issue is. You know, maybe pray, go to church. Actually, mm -hmm. that's a big thing, right? Like, sí, exactamente. Oh, Diosito, Diosito te va, te va a ayudar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Diosito te va, you know, all that stuff. But I think it's definitely something that people don't talk about sí. if they have gotten help. And and I think there's, I've seen a lot of reluctance in my family from people who very obviously need help. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even talking about necessarily, like, they need medication or anything like that. I'm just saying, literally, like, someone to talk to. To talk to, uh -huh. Because, obviously, they are not coping well mm -hmm. with whatever's happening, the stress or the trauma that they've been through and stuff. And there is this really potent reluctance Same. to get that help for themselves. Same. So, like, I know, for me... Some of the things I'm thinking about is uh, my mother is coming up for me a lot. Oh, and by the way, you know, we had discussed just as a disclaimer, mm -hmm. you know, this is something that's very close to home for both of us. If it's anyone in our family story, we're just going to be vague mm -hmm. and definitely not call them out by name or relationship because that's their story and it's not our business to share. But if it relates to us personally and something, you know, that's Nosotros estamos interesadas en compartir las experiencias, pero no en exponer a nadie. 
vamos a tratar por todos los medios de, de no revelar eh, el nombre de las personas de las que estamos hablando por respeto a, a su privacidad. Exactly. So, like I was saying, you know, in respect to my mother, I can speak of two specific situations where she made very clear that that was her attitude. And my mother is retired now. She was retired a while ago, but she is in the medical field. Exacto. Right? So, you would think if anyone, she would be a lot more understanding claro. when it came to things because she's working around doctors all the time and, you know, she worked in a hospital for most of her life mm -hmm. and ran a lab and all that stuff. So... I remember when I was in high school, I want to say I was a freshman, so maybe 14 years old. I remember we were at a mall and we were sitting down and I honestly don't know what came over me. I know that I was feeling sad and I had been feeling sad for a while, but I'm, I'm not sure why I chose to tell her that in that moment. But I remember telling her, you know, like, mommy, I'm depressed. I'm depressed and I, I want to get help. I need to see a therapist. And she kind of, like, stared at me and blinked for a little bit. And, and then she was really dismissive. She was like, you don't need help. Are you crazy? You know everything that I've been through? Your life is easy. Like, everything I've been through and I've never gotten help. Like, wow. you don't need help. You're not depressed. You don't even know what depression is. You don't know what that is, right? Wow. So she was really dismissive. And then I think she, she took it to heart. She took it really personally. And she, I remember her not speaking to me for a little bit after that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was awkward. And looking back, I don't think that I was depressed. I do think I definitely needed to talk to somebody. I was seeing a lot of things and living through a lot of things that were really unhealthy and toxic and were molding me in a specific way. So I definitely think I needed someone to speak to to sort of like work those things out. Exactly. I don't know that I was actually depressed. Who knows? But regardless, es, she didn't give me the opportunity es que to... Para tener terapista, no, hay que estar deprimido. no. Hay muchas cosas con las que uno puede lidiar teniendo un terapista que no necesariamente tiene que ser depresión, ¿no? No, absolutely, but that's what I was telling her. Claro, you know, claro. I was saying, I'm depressed. Sí, porque that's tu mentalidad de niña, tú no podías realmente expresar lo que te pasaba. Eso yeah. fue lo primero que se te ocurrió. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, that was her response. And then, more recently... A few years ago, after my brother passed away, so, you know, I did go to therapy for a while as an older person. I was in therapy for four years. And when my brother passed away, I was already in therapy. I had been in therapy already. It wasn't that I started going to therapy after he passed away. Sure. It just happened while I was already in therapy because I had been there for a while. And I remember, actually, I, obviously, you know, we were all, really upset and heartbroken and going through a lot. And my mother, of course, took it really, really poorly. And I remember telling her that I was going to therapy, hoping that if I shared that with her, maybe she would consider going to therapy herself. Me and my mom historically deal with many things very similarly. I think of all her children... I get her the most when it comes to certain things because we respond to things really similarly. And so I remember having a conversation with her and I was trying to tell her, you know, I think you need to talk to somebody. And I, I told her I was in therapy and, you know, that it was helping, which to be honest, wasn't really true. Like 
even after it happened, I was not talking about my brother in therapy. It was too much. But whatever. I knew she needed to talk to somebody. And I was even like, you know, even if you don't want to talk to a therapist, but there might be like groups with right. mothers or parents who have lost their kids. And that just might be helpful, you know, just right. like an outlet. Because it, it was really hard for her. And she told me that she was happy for me. She was happy that I was doing what I needed to do. But of course, she was not open to it. Okay. But then my sister called me and told me that she overheard her having a conversation with one of her friends where she was telling her friend that I was in therapy. And the way that she framed it was, well, you know, she's just not as strong as me. So, of course, I was fucking furious. I'm like, are you kidding First of all, that's not really your business to be sharing with anybody. Not that I was like, it was okay that same, her same, friend same, knew, same. but it's still not really your place to be. And then, especially if the way that you're framing it is basically I'm weak. And again, that wasn't even the reason I was going. She didn't know that, you know, right. I just told her that I was in therapy, but that was, that oh, infuriated me. And, you know, I, I confronted her about it and she said she didn't say that. So really, I wasn't there. Who knows? But if I had to bet money, knowing my mother, I would bet that she did say that, you know? So there you have this very smart woman in the field, even if it's not the mental health field, but in the medical Medical field, field. Mm -hmm. who, even in my face, was supportive, but is still harboring this judgment. ¿De qué tú crees que venga esa creencia de que necesitar ayuda en momentos difíciles de gente débil? I don't know where it comes from exactly, but I know that it's just not a way that we've been taught, I guess, historically had to rely on ourselves and our own resources to get through things because we haven't had access to insurance. We Mm -hmm. haven't had access to great doctors. We haven't had access to people that are even talking about what the steps are to maybe overcoming something or... It's just not something I think that we've had access to unless you're growing up, maybe, possibly now. Sí. Or you might have younger parents that are a little bit more open. Sí, claro. Um, or if you're in a particularly resource-rich place mm-hmm. where maybe your peers or your friends are doing it and claro, so it's claro. not so taboo. But I think that's just not a way that we've ever learn to cope and so if it's not what you know it's not going to be something that you recommend and it could also be something that you don't trust i think stuff like that is seen as like being bougie or like not being for you or being for people who have stupid shit or you know people who are crazy so there's that con las enfermedades mentales completamente es completamente diferente eh, por mi familia por parte de mi mamá que fue la familia con la que yo crecí sí creen en buscar ayuda psicológica cuando se necesita mm. yo desde muy pequeña recuerdo a mi mamá llevándome al psicólogo when I used to act up en la escuela mm-hmm. eh, me recuerdo de eh, mi mamá yendo a terapia cuando ella misma lo necesitaba. Eh, eh, el psicólogo ha sido siempre una herramienta que mi familia ha usado 
para lidiar con situaciones en el momento que lo ha necesitado. Uh -huh. eh, sobre todo con los niños. Porque ya, bueno, los adultos no ha habido esa necesidad. Mi mamá, por ejemplo, sí tuvo su, su psicólogo un tiempo determinado, después lo volvió a tener. Pero, por ejemplo, con los niños. Mi primo, por ejemplo, tenía problemas de, de que no se crió con sus padres, de ciertas determinadas cosas, ¿no? Y lo llevaron a un psicólogo desde niño para que conversara y cosas así. A mí conmigo lo hicieron igual. Entonces, por esa parte, en mi familia no hay ese tabú. Ahora, pero sí hay tabú a la hora de hablar del tema, ¿no? Porque, por ejemplo, mi mamá, cuando necesita la ayuda, la busca, pero no es, no es una persona que te diga, oh, no, el psicólogo es bueno, oh, no, sí, yo he ido al psicólogo, eso es normal, lo más normal. No es una cosa que se hable abiertamente como cuando tienes un dolor en un pie y vas a un doctor de pie para que te mire el pie. Uh -huh. Es como más un secreto, ¿no? Es como, sí, ella está yendo terapia, o sí, está tomándose sus pastillitas para sentirse mejor, pero no es una cosa de la que se hable abiertamente. Entonces veo como un cierto tipo de, como de, de intriga, como de, no, no es... Es la discreción. Discreción, mm -hmm. ajá, discreción cuando se trata de ese, de ese tema específicamente. Mm -hmm. No importa si tú tienes cualquier otra enfermedad, normal se habla, pero de eso sí no se habla. En mi familia o parte de padre también... Eh, mi familia por parte de padres es diferente. En mi familia por parte de padres sí no se busca ayuda psicológica de ningún tipo. Y tengo familia que estuvieron en hospitales ingresados. Es decir, buscaron ya la ayuda cuando no había remedio. Aunque la buscaron, ¿entiendes? Porque si no hubiera sido así, no sé qué hubiera pasado. Pero sí, y se demostró, coño, mira, poner a esta persona en un tratamiento médico dio resultado porque volvió a ser la persona que era, aunque por un momento transitoriamente perdió la cabeza completamente. Uh -huh. Pero, es decir, no se buscó la ayuda antes de que ocurriera el hecho, pero de que esta persona empezó a tener alucinaciones, empezó a escuchar voces. Uh -huh. No era esquizofrenia, uh -huh. nunca fue eh, diagnosticado como, como esquizofrenia, pero sí tenía una enfermedad, así como lo llaman en Cuba, una enfermedad de los nervios bastante seria. Uh -huh. Esta persona compl perdió completamente el sentido de la realidad. Esta persona vive en un mundo completamente imaginario. Uh -huh. Y paranoia, una paranoia, al punto, como te digo, veía alucinaciones, escuchaba voces, cosas así. Entonces, la ingresaron a un centro de psiquiatría, le pusieron un tratamiento intensivo, la persona poco a poco volvió en sí. Se volvió a incorporar en la sociedad, a trabajar, a todo, todo, todo bien. Uh -huh. Pero también es un estigma, porque eso lo sabemos las personas de la familia, pero tampoco se habla de eso. De ese uh -huh. tiempo, en mi familia, no se habla. Eso es un tiempo en el que se, que se borró. Sale en temas de conversación familiares. Like, si yo estoy hablando con mi papá, mi papá me dice, ah, sí, eso fue un tiempo difícil para mí, qué sé yo. Y él te habla de eso. Uh -huh. Pero como decir, no, esta fue una etapa de mi vida. Cuando una persona nos está recitando su vida uh -huh. y hablar de esa etapa como que fue una etapa de su vida y una cosa por la que tuvo que pasar, mi papá no habla de eso. No fue él el que le sucedió, uh -huh. pero fue una familia de él muy cercana. Uh -huh. Y es como si ese tiempo estuviera borrado. Uh -huh. De eso no se habla a no ser que salga en un tema y entre la familia, familiar. ¿Entiende? Uh -huh. Y yo me pregunto por qué hay esa descomponerse físicamente. Es normal. 
se nos descompone el hígado, se nos descomponen las piernas, se nos descompone la espalda. Uh -huh. El cerebro es un órgano como otro cualquiera. Y como mismo, no sé, hay personas que usan espejuelos porque no pueden ver bien. Es una enfermedad como otra cualquiera. No sé por qué hay un estigma alrededor de eso. Yo misma tuve un tiempo en el que hace poco, hace como dos años, yo tuve un, unos episodios de ansiedad muy, muy, muy grandes. Uh -huh. Yo me levantaba temblando, me iba a la cama temblando, yo temblaba todo el tiempo y temblaba y temblaba y temblaba y me entró un miedo a salir a la calle por los episodios de ansiedad que me daban estando en el tren, estando en la calle, unos mareos tremendos. Era muy, yo pasé un tiempo muy, muy malo, it was scary. Entonces yo misma me, me, me encerré en mi casa para no salir y después me dio miedo estar sola conmigo misma en mi casa. Entonces era una cosa en la que era, era un... un un varo que yo tenía en mi cabeza con, con, conmigo misma. Y yo me di cuenta de que necesitaba ayuda. Aunque, para mí, desde niña, el psicólogo no fue una cosa extraña. Pero así de adulta nunca he ido. Ni en los momentos más difíciles. Tuvo que, tuvo que ponerse la cosa bien, 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 bien eh, difícil para mí. Al punto de que yo estaba temiendo por mi salud mental de verdad, porque yo no estaba bien. Yo mentalmente no estaba bien. Uh -huh. Y yo dije, yo tengo, necesito ayuda. Y poco a poco, gracias a Dios, me, como decimos los latinos, gracias a Dios, pero bueno, gracias al psicólogo, <risa> gracias al psicólogo que yo tenía, muy bueno, fui saliendo de ese estado de, de ansiedad tan, tan, tan profundo que yo tenía. Uh -huh. Yo me fui de vacaciones porque lo necesitaba un break con mi familia en Florida. Y lo, mi familia en Florida quería sacarme, quería llevarme a, a la playa. Y yo lo único que quería era dormir. Mm. Era un cansancio y un sueño constantemente. Muy, 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 muy. Estaba muy exhausta. Y los temblores eran que no podía estar sin temblar. Mm -hmm. Aunque no tuviera frío. Una etapa muy, muy, una ansiedad muy fuerte que me dio. Todavía a veces yo tengo PTSD de eso. El psicólogo fue lo que me salvó. Y me recuerdo hablando con mi primo, que una vez me llamó. Mi primo tiene 18 años, es un niño. Bueno, actually tiene 20. Pero bueno, cuando aquello tenía 18, era un niño. Y diciéndome, ¿qué te pasa? Como si fuera un bonche, como si fuera un chiste. Uh -huh. ¿Qué te pasa? ¿Qué dice tu mamá que tú no quieres salir de tu casa? ¿Tú estás loca o okay? qué? Yo le dije, yo, lo que a mí me está pasando no es de risa. Yo me siento muy mal. Uh -huh. Entonces él como que se dio cuenta, ¿no? Y, y mi familia estaba asustadísima. Mi familia, mi tía, me recuerdo que me decía, ya yo nunca te he visto así, yo nunca te he visto así. Yo, eh, una etapa fea. A mí, sinceramente, no me da ninguna vergüenza hablar de eso. Y, y te digo la verdad, que de no haber sido por la ayuda que busqué, yo creo que no sé qué hubiera pasado. No sé qué hubiera pasado. Porque a mí se me puso la cosa fea, fea, fea. Entonces, yo de verdad que um, no entiendo por qué la gente cuando necesita ayuda no la busca. Yo me pongo a pensar, por ejemplo, en mi lugar, de yo no haber buscado esa ayuda, en qué se hubiera desencadenado eso que yo tenía. ¿Entiendes? Y yo creo que eso sucede también, que la gente no se trata... Algunas cosas que pueden ser leves y se convierten en más serias y desencadenan en cosas más serias por no buscar la ayuda en el momento. Como le pasó a ese familiar mío que, que ya cuando empezó a hacer el tratamiento era un poquito... La cosa estaba bastante grave ya. Yeah. 
That's actually reminding me. It's taking me back to when I had started therapy. And I'm remembering now I was resistant to the idea as well. And I think, and, and that's me. That's me, someone who has thought the way that I think, you know, for most of my life. I'm, I'm growing all the time. This was, it was a while ago. We're talking maybe, I don't know, at least seven years ago at this point. But I remember someone telling me, like, I think you need to go to therapy. And I was like, mm you need to go to therapy. <laughs> I don't need to go to therapy, you know? And I think now that I'm thinking about it, the resistance was not coming from a place of that I thought that that was a bad thing or I thought that that would make me seem crazy or anything mm-hmm. like that. I think it was just admitting that I was not in control. That was hard for me. Sure. Like in my brain, I was like, no, I can work this out. Logically, right? I have all this empathy, but logically, like, I can break these things down and these patterns that I have that aren't good, and I can figure it out. I don't need somebody else to, like, help me figure it out. I can do this by myself. That's so dumb. And, you know, it became very clear that was not true. Mm -hmm. And, And then, you know, out of my own will, eventually I did to work on the issues of anger, that I had and, you know, just my, my lack of control of that and my emotions, you know, when they get too intense and honestly, like it was amazing. It was amazing. Not because it was just, it's amazing to have a soundboard, you know? I mean, we have friends and family and partners and people that Of course, you know, if you're lucky, you can talk to about anything or almost anything. But that's labor, too, on the other person, you know? And if there's something really heavy going on with you, especially if the person cares for you, what you're giving them, you're actually sort of, like, throwing on them. And then it's not considering whatever they might have going on themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think... What I've learned is, like, we have to be a little bit careful. It's not that you don't want to share with your people and get their advice or, you know, just have people to talk to. But you also have to be kind of not selfish or cognizant that, you know, whatever you're giving to people, you're sort of throwing on them. And that that will affect them, especially if they care about you. At least when you're talking about a therapist or a mental health professional, you know, that's what get, they get paid to do. Exactly. And they've consented to that. Y una cosa muy importante de los terapistas es que no están atados a ti emocionalmente. Yes. So, en su opinión médica, además, van a ser completamente unbiased. Eso es hope. algo que un profesional... Yeah. Sí, claro. Todos los seres humanos tenemos bias. Pero bueno, como profesional tienen el training y encima de eso no están relacionados a ti emocionalmente. Right? Entonces, eso los ayuda a ser un poco más neutral. Y, y racionalizar un poco más las cosas a la hora de ayudarte, ¿no? Que a veces tus familiares o la, la gente cercana puede ser un poquito más eh, biased. Y... For sure. And especially if they have, like, the same beliefs as you or that they've grown up in the same kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. you might just be going back and forth, Exacto. not getting anywhere, you know, putting the same things to each other. But it was really helpful, not because my, my therapist, anyway, was never anyone who, like, tried to give me solutions mm-hmm. or like was someone to be like, oh, let's work out a plan. That's not what she was. It was really, really just letting me talk 
and asking me questions and allowing myself to figure things out for myself and come up with plans and things for myself, you know? And honestly, I would have stayed with her. I would still be going to her if my insurance hadn't finished. You know, my insurance finished and there were some transitions happening and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to pause until I figure that out. And then, you know, I just haven't went back. But I 100% believe that it was really necessary for me and that I could still stand to benefit. And, you know, I really wish that for the people that have the capacity to go and, and do have the coverage, you know, I wish that it was something that more of us made space for because I think a lot of us would be just happier if we could do that. You know, I'm currently going through a situation that's been very hard for me because I have someone in my family who is refusing help that they obviously need. You know, um, they went through a really scary episode uh, where they they tried to harm themselves. Well, they did harm themselves. Um, and, you know, we went through a lot and we kind of came up with a family plan and agreed that what was going to be important for this person um, to sort of assure that they wouldn't get there again was to talk to somebody because they have so many things that they've never really talked to anybody about. And this person agreed initially, I guess, because they felt like they didn't have any other option because um, they were being held in a facility by people that had got to decide whether they were able to leave or not, mm-hmm. um, but has not followed up. And that's been, even with me trying to put a lot of pressure on them too, and my other family members that are around this person are also not really pushing, sure. despite conversations that I've had with them. And despite that we were all in agreement that that was really important, you know, this person sort of being let off the hook Mm-hmm. because of a whole bunch of excuses. And it's true that it's a hard moment in time to do anything and, you know, for changes, especially something that's that drastic if it's not something you've ever done. But this was literally one of those, like, life or death moments. And even then, I think the the bias that my family has in feeling like this might not this is obviously like necessary and still like I'm not gonna push it. I would rather rely on prayers and you know our strength as a family and believe that that is gonna give us the outcome and make it so that this is not gonna occur again. Sí. That that's the prevailing sort of sentiment. sometimes that's not enough. Uno quisiera que el amor fuera suficiente, mm-hmm. que la unión de familia, que la fe de Dios fuera suficiente, pero sometimes it's not. Y eso lo demuestran la cantidad de personas que hay con que necesitan ayuda, que tienen familia y que tienen ese tipo de apoyo. Sin embargo, tú ves claramente y obviamente que necesitan que necesitan la, la ayuda. Y, y volviendo, a, perdón que te interrumpa, pero volviendo a lo que tú estabas diciendo ahorita de los seguros y esas cosas, es una pena que sea un lujo en un país como este, uh-huh. en pleno siglo XXI, tener un sistema de salud 
para la, la mente, para el cerebro, para los funcionamientos humanos. Uh -huh. Tenemos cardiólogos, tenemos eh, ginecólogos, tenemos todo tipo de doctores disponibles y que los seguros en la mayoría de las veces, para el que pueda tener seguro, cubren, pero sin embargo un psicólogo o un psiquiatra no. Tienes que ser literalmente una persona con un diagnóstico mental para poder recibir este tipo de ayuda. Y eso está mal. Uh -huh. Eso está mal. Tener psicólogos debería ser parte de los seguros médicos, como mismo lo es el dentista o cualquier otro. Bueno, dentista no. Aquí. El dentista no, porque el dentista, el dentista y los ojos es igual. Yeah. Pero, pero, ¿entiendes? No sé por qué dejan, dejan fuera de los planes de salud algo tan importante, uh -huh. tan importante como la salud mental. Yeah. Y lo mismo aplica para los dientes y lo mismo aplica para el eye doctor, porque, es, porque también, yo no lo había visto desde ese punto de vista, pero es verdad también. That's extra. That's why. Pero especialmente en lo que es la mente. Uh -huh. ¿Por qué? Porque tú sin un diente puedes, puedes funcionar normal como un ser humano. Pero cuando tu mente no está bien, y además en este país se ha visto las consecuencias de esto. En este país la violencia... Es, mm -hmm. es increíble. Mm -hmm. En este país pasan las cosas que no pasan en ningún sitio, como niños yendo a una escuela con una ametralladora y matando niños. Yeah. Yo una vez estaba escuchando cuando empezó lo, cuando, cuando, cuando sucedió lo de Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. Tú sabes, aquí siempre las noticias se vuelven un boom y de momento no se habla más nunca de eso. Pero cuando sucedió lo de Sandy Hook, hubo una señora que dijo... Todo el mundo está enfocado en lo que hizo este muchacho y en por qué ese muchacho hizo eso y los, lo, los videogames que veía y uh -huh. las cosas que lo llevaron a hacer. Pero nadie se está enfocando en la causa más grande que es la raíz del problema. Y la raíz del problema es que aquí, en este país, tener mental health desde niño es un lujo. Si este niño tuviera especialistas tuvieran personas con las que hablar, tuvieran acceso a tratamientos, acceso a, a, a control, un control monitoreado. Uh -huh. Estas cosas se pudieran disminuir a un gran por ciento. Los, los psicópatas existen donde quiera, los asesinos existen donde quiera, uh -huh. pero hay cosas que se pueden evitar porque se sabe que la persona simplemente era alguien que estaba mal de la cabeza o que estaba, necesitaba otro tipo de ayuda que nunca recibió. Yeah, and that, I mean, I think that that language maybe helps to add to the stigma, right? Like, mal de la cabeza, but I know what you mean. Sí. What you're saying, and, you know, it's really true. You don't hear about school shootings in other places. Mm -hmm. There are other places that are just as violent, maybe more violent, but, like, that specific phenomena, like children, mm -hmm. you know? Exactamente. Shooting up their peers and stuff like that. O lo que sucedió en Orlando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh -huh. very true. But that wasn't out of school, but I know what you're saying. Like, sí, you know, sí, people just shooting Mass, shooting, mass yeah. shootings es una cosa de los Estados Unidos. That's not related to, like, necessarily a political exact, cause. Exactamente. Just people Porque, sí, exacto. Hay things. otros lugares en el mundo donde hay mucha violencia, como yeah. tú estás diciendo, pero son relacionadas a ciertas y determinadas causas. Estos no son causas. Estos son personas que deliberadamente van a matar a otros seres humanos. Yeah. And if we bring it back to the Latinx community, I know I was reading not so long ago that suicide rates among school-aged Latinx kids are, like, on the rise. Mm. 
compared to the rest of the population, exactly. non-Latinx population, our mental health things are like comparable to any other group, right? Mm-hmm. That's similar. No, I'll be But specifically when it comes to school-age children, the suicide rates and the attempts mm-hmm. are a lot higher in that the Latinx community, which is very curious. And I was also reading that for people that are showing psychological symptoms, right, only 20% of them will tell a doctor about it. And only 10% of them will actually speak to a mental health professional about them. And that's talking about for people that are actually showing things that, you know, are signifiers that something might not quite be right, Mm -hmm. which is of course, separate from other reasons that you would go that may not necessarily be tied to psychological things, but, you know. Exacto. um, But, yeah, you need to talk to someone because of whatever the case Mm -hmm, may be. mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about, like, clinically diagnosable things. Exactamente. A eso a lo que yo me refiero con mal de la cabeza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Which still is not... (laughs) It's not the best way to phrase it. It's still... Es decir, dependiendo, porque para, por ejemplo, lo que yo estaba hablando ahorita del estigma es personas que en realidad lo que están es, por ejemplo, ansied- tienen ansiedad o que tienen un poquito de depresión y automáticamente dicen, no, tú estás loco. Eso no es locura. Uh-huh. Ni mucho menos eh, estar, estar en un nivel de, de desbalance que te haga no funcionar. Ya cuando yo hablo mal de la cabeza, yo hablo de personas que no, ya no funcionan a un nivel en el que perdieron eh, contacto con la realidad. A eso es a lo que me refiero, ¿me entiendes? Que, en el, que en, en el mundo de los latinos, en la sociedad latinx, eso es cualquiera que necesite. Cualquiera que necesite ayuda psicológica ya está mal de la cabeza automáticamente, ¿me entiendes? O tiene un problema, o tiene una enfermedad, o tiene, ¿entiendes? Cualquiera. Puede ser alguien que necesite ser diagnosticado o alguien que simplemente esté pasando por un episodio de ansiedad. Ya para ello es, estás loco. Yeah, but okay. But then I still think that that is a tricky sort of division. No, Although it's... I know what it is that you're saying. I get what you're saying. But I feel like, you know, the less, serial thi- the less serious things, you're okay. You just need a little bit of help. And the things that are maybe considered more serious, then you can qualify that as that. I don't think that that's a a helpful distinction or like a healthy one. I mm-hmm. think it still contributes to that sort of stigma of, you know, because we all have different abilities and all have different everything. And to say that one is wrong or right or, you know, mal or no. But I think I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is I really feel like everyone could benefit from help. There, none of us is born perfect. And even if we were, you know, we're we're not living in a perfect world. We're living in a world where we are exposed to a lot of things claro. that really affect us in really deep ways. And I think that whether you're showing signs of something or not, whether it be minimal or from other people's viewpoint, really serious, that's not even what's necessarily the most important. Maybe it's the most urgent mm-hmm. once it's Exacto. visible, but I cannot think of one person in my circle or in my family that I don't honestly, earnestly believe would not be happier and healthier if they had someone to talk to in a more pointed way, 
you know, claro. that wasn't just a friend or a family member. For the people that do, because I also know a lot of people who don't even do that, you know. Claro. Ojalá que ese estigma pronto sea algo que, que se borre de existencia. For Ojalá. sure. And another thing that you said that just reminded me, and I know we probably want to wrap up because of time, but it's also that included in that is addiction. Claro. And I think that that's something that we miss a lot too, that when you have an addiction, it's a sickness, it's claro. an illness. Absolutamente. Not necessarily coming from your body, but it is mental, mm-hmm. right? And when you were talking before about discretion, mm-hmm. in my family, that's really where the discretion comes in. Sí. I, I come from a line of people with many, many, many addictions. And that's what people are quiet about. The way that they talk about it. I think the shame mm-hmm. that is felt around that. In a way that would be different if they were talking about the same person having cancer or asthma claro, or diabetes. You know, something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's also something that we have to address. Sí. I know in the Puerto Rican community, for a long, long time, that you know, heroin addiction in particular was rampant that was the thing if you were on the east coast in the new york city metropolitan area so many people died so many people contracted aids even if you just look at like our our musical heroes and stuff Mm -hmm. like that it didn't it didn't even miss you if you had fame or wealth or anything right it was like such a big problem and you know now i know when we're talking about stuff it's, it's very hush hush like if that wasn't Something that we needed to be more proactive about and talk about so that that cycle didn't continue, you know? Claro. Sí, en mi familia definitivamente hubo otra persona que también terminó en una institución mental porque tenía problemas con las drogas. Uh-huh. Y le pasó igual. Perdió completamente su, su contacto con la realidad. Incluso cuando no estabas ahí. Esa persona se enfermó, eh, su cerebro sufrió un cambio drástico a causa de las drogas. Eh, como dicen, se dice popularmente, las drogas le frieron el cerebro. Mm. Esa persona nunca volvió, esa persona sí no tuvo cura, nunca ha vuelto a ser mm-hmm. igual. Por también el uso de la heroína, la cocaína, todas esas cosas de drogas, habidas y por haber. Esa persona trató de todo y su cerebro no, no lo resistió. Y esa persona nunca ha vuelto a ser igual, nunca ha vuelto a ser la misma. Todo ha sido caos uh-huh. en su vida desde que comenzó a usar drogas. Y sí, sí, definitivamente también es una cosa de la que no se habla. Se habla cuando se va a criticar a la persona, uh-huh. Uh-huh. ¿sabes? Cuando Bien. se va a criticar a la persona, mira para eso, drogadita, Mira para eso, lo que hizo con su vida, también que le iba, y sin embargo lo tiró toda su suerte por la ventana, mm-hmm. por las drogas, para criticar, sí. Pero para saber o entender el, mm-hmm. la raíz del asunto, la raíz del problema, mm-hmm. o para darse cuenta de que esto es una enfermedad, de que esta persona podía haber buscado en las drogas la solución que no, que no encontró, ¿sabes? Yeah. Para sus problemas o sus traumas o lo que sea. Entonces... También, definitivamente, hay un estigma tremendo en lo que en lo, de lo que a eso se trata. Y, y, y volviendo al, al tema, ¿no? 
el estigma con las enfermedades mentales es tanto que incluso cuando las personas son tienen vicios de, de adicciones, tienen adicciones, no voy a decir vicio porque es una palabra fea, cuando las personas tienen adicciones, no se ven las adicciones como un problema mental. Se ven las adicciones como un... Ah, so a weakness. A weakness. A weakness yeah. y como que tú, ese fue el camino que tú escogiste. Yeah, a choice no, and a weakness. A choice and a weakness. Mm-hmm. Por tratar de no reconocer que esta persona tiene un problema mental y necesita ayuda. Porque así de tan... Así es... es Or that they have... Exacto. Had to turn to unhealthy mm-hmm. ways of coping because of coping. they don't have access Exacto. up until this point to ways that would just be safer for them. Exacto. Mm-hmm. La gente prefiere tildarte de drogadicto y juzgarte mm-hmm. a reconocer que tú necesitas ayuda psiquiátrica o psicológica. Mm-hmm. Tan, así de tan fuerte es el estigma alrededor de las, las enfermedades mentales. Pero bueno, es una pena, la verdad. Yeah. But, you know, I think just Tanta having conversations about salvar. it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Con algo tan simple. But I think that's why we have to talk about it, you know. The more freely we can talk about it, little by little, I think you're doing your part to chip away at the stigma and the biases that we have ourselves, that we're walking around with, you know, that we've grown up with, so that at least for the next generation or even the people around us, you know, it's not as much of a hurdle to climb. And we can get to a place maybe where we just have what we need. You know. Okay. No más, no más mal de la cabeza para mí. <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead, bud. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Muchas gracias por escucharnos. Síganos en nuestra página de Instagram, Latinas guión bajo en guión bajo queer in time. Latinas. How do I say it like that? Latinas. <laughs> um, Latinas underscore en underscore queer in time. Ciao. Ciao.